Welcome back to Deconstruct. I am Mikey Bridges. Besides recording this so that my grandson Osiris can hear it from me, I hope this stuff jars some memory that you haven't thought about in a long time. Something that makes you laugh or smile or say, oh yeah, I remember those guys. Yes, I have a deep love-hate with the City of Roses. Portland, Oregon is not my home, but it seems I can never fully leave it. It's had an impact on me like nothing else. I lived there for 14 years. My children were born there. The city has both welcomed me with open arms and has spat me out of her mouth several times. She's a moody one for sure. Portland for me is like a tattoo. I like tattoos, but I absolutely hate getting them. Portland is cool. I like how it looks and what it is. It's cultural, a bit exotic, but I also hate being there. The love part of my love-hate with the thorny city of roses is really simple. The people. The friends I've made and even enemies in some cases are still part of a community that formed what seems eons ago. We've all moved on in one way or another, but there's still that common thread, no matter how thin, that runs through a great deal of people. Not just the ones that were part of making the Portland scene, but also the people that helped it become nationwide and worldwide. Maybe you're one of them. Portland really became its own thing. We were creating bands, clubs, churches, studies, small organizations, shows, our own witch's brew of subculture, our own brand, like 12 Monkeys. I want to take you with me to talk to a bunch of those guys. So here's what I'm going to do. Please note, I'm still learning this audio stuff. I have no idea what I'm doing, so please bear with me. I'm also learning equipment and microphones, and I'm, <laughs> I'm failing more than I'm succeeding. However, you know, failure's good. I've totally screwed up one audio segment from this episode, which I'm super bummed about, and I'm doing my best to salvage another. Microphone, wind problems, my portable recorder died. I apologize in advance. But first, we'll go to my mom's farm to brave the cold and wind and rain to see if her horse will come to me. But more importantly, to visit the gravesite of Maserati the Llama that my brother and I buried. Which reminds me, he just wrote me and asked me what happened to my voice. That it's high and it used to be deeper. Great. Thanks. You little turd. So here we go. Off to the farm in Oregon. Benny, let's go see Benny the horse. We're out here at my mom's farm, out in the middle of nowhere, and we're walking down the road to her barn, and we have Benny the horse. Benny, come here. You wanna come visit me? You wanna come visit me? Benny's just looking at me like, who are you? Oh, you do? Yeah. All right. Yeah. We should do that. Uh, you know what? Let's wait, because I don't know if my mom's going to... I don't know if that's good or bad. Or okay. It's cold here. It's like uh, 45 and a little bit of rain. I thought I'd walk you guys out to where we buried... My brother and I buried the llama. My mom's property is divided by a little road... And there's ponds on either side of the road and their little uh, brick and wood house overlooks those two ponds. It's really 
very, very serene and nice. Good place to relax. The pond's really full right now. Look how look how full that is. Ducks. There's a guys, some guys down there. There's only one duck. No, there's a bunch of them. But look at there's down there. Way back in there. There's a spot in this pasture where the dirt is slightly higher. And I think that's where he was buried. Let's see. I think not mistaken nah, I don't know <laughs> it's somewhere in this pasture we couldn't drag him anywhere because he was so big so we had to bury him where he fell basically so that's my little trip to visit Maz can you grab the other side of this oh never mind it worked Okay, let's go back there now. Man, that pond is full. It looks like it's gonna, with one rain, it'll go over. Uh oh, I hear. Uh oh. Uh oh, I hear my mom calling somebody. Uh oh. Oh, right there. He's behind you. <laughs> My friends, Ed and Amanda, have graciously given up their house for the evening. They have a cool outdoor covered patio and a fire pit out there with lots of places to sit. Makes a great place to record a podcast. So I've invited the guys from my first band, Gecko Monks, and several others to talk about the beginnings of a scene, a community, before things really started moving in Portland. These folks were just some of the influential people during that time. This is by no means all of the people involved, but I thought it'd be fun to start here and see where it goes. So I went to Ed and Amanda's with several microphones and no questions prepared. I want to hear what others were experiencing with the birth of our little music scene, their influences, the bands they created. First up, my old bandmates, singer Ron Thomas and drummer Mark Gilson, and what they were doing when we started in the early 90s in Portland. Here we go. Voice, though, that was just a... Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so when they came to tour... Hump. Hump. Ruin the recording, why not? Yeah, that was the nice thing about living in that area is I got to see all the sacraments. Like, I remember seeing the 70s. Fix it and post. I wish I could. 12,000 people. You know Audacity? No, I don't yet. That's my problem. Is this me? It's easy. Just use the scissor icon. Move the playhead where you want to cut. Use the scissor icon. Maybe you should help me do it. There are tutorials. Okay, so... um. I was talking a little bit about you guys on the podcast, which was Gecko Monks and the first band. I met Kelly first at the connection. I don't know. And then what happened? I don't remember. I mean, he knew you, Mark. He knew me because he was dating my girlfriend's best friend. So we had been double dating for months. Was that Bernadine? No. Okay. No, but I met Bernadine the night I met you. Oh, okay. Because Bernadine was dating Kelly. 
Okay. So Kelly gave me a call, said, hey, there's this tall, freaky dude down here playing bass at this place called The Connection. Right. So I drove down there and walked in. I think you and I said like three words to each other, and I sat down and started playing. Yeah, I don't remember it being like a, whoa, hey, what's going on, party? What's going on, guys? It was just a flat-out jam. We just played. We played. We barely talked. We but I don't played. remember. I, I wasn't a jammer type. So. You were bouncing around the room. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it was cool. Okay. Well, that's good. And it was Kelly and you and me and Bernadine sitting on the floor reading a book. Bernadine, who I would later marry. Right. And uh, divorce. What did you do after the Gecko Monks was, was over? Did you play anymore? Mark Gilson from the Gecko Monks? I sat drummer? in and jammed here and there. Yeah. Just, you know. And well, then, it wasn't something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I've always loved music. But, I mean, I think it just kind of ran its course. I just think, I wish we would have hung out another year because we were just putting out some really good stuff. Yeah. Better than the CD. Yeah. Better than most people had heard. Yeah. So the timing kind of sucked. But Kelly had stuff going on. We all had stuff going on. Right. In the, the Christian aspect of things, did you connect with that or were you just in a band because you had some friends that were playing music and you're just going to play some music I was always a little bit of a fence writer yeah and I think that was kind of us as a band too yeah so uh, you know we had a lot of fun as a Christian band but I thought we had kind of certain limitations too like well back then there was a lot of amazing music being made but also, in a way, I felt like some of the Christian scene was a little derivative. Everyone was trying to be a knockoff of a secular band. And I just didn't like that part. I don't think any of us liked that part. And we were trying to kind of do our own thing and find our own voice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't regret any of that, but I think we could have probably made a few different choices. Let me go backwards with you. Before Gecko Monks, what was happening in Portland? There was a band called Either Or. There were some other things. There were, there were hints of an underground kind of bubbling, maybe. I don't know. That's what I want. I'm trying to investigate what happened before I came. I came in 89, opened the club. That's where we all met. But before that, there was still Subterranean Cafe, Dan Zimmerman. There was, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, was some, there were some alternative things happening. Flock 14 was one of them. Yeah, for me, yeah, it started with Flock 14 and with a band called The Receivers. Mm-hmm. who actually were a Christian band that were a year or two older than I was in high school. I went to a Christian high school. Mm-hmm. And so the receivers were performance artists, man. They just put on a show. Mm. And then Leon Goodenough, who I would later form um, either or with. Marry. And then Leon would go on to do and clergy. He beat the clergy. Yeah, I know. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't even that. Um, he went on to be, on the, be in the clergy. He started the clergy mm-hmm. and then Yum Yum Children and probably three or four other bands. So right. I mean, Leon really uh, still does music, I think. Yeah. Um, but we formed Either Or and we started hanging out with the uh, Flock 14 guys, Tim McAllister, Brian DeHart, mm-hmm. Dennis Childers. And that was a real eye-opener. And they kind of were our mentors hmm. at that time. And that was about the time I met Ron, I think, wasn't it? I met you in 84 through the Flock 14 guys. You were living in that house, and I was one of the hanger-ons that would go hang out there until Tim would chase us out. 
um, that's how I met you initially. And I think after, I think it was after high school, we both were taking some courses at community college and we kind of reconnected at that point. And I was like, hey, let's put a band together. Let's put a band together. And you knew Kelly and I was a bass player, but by the time things started to come together, you guys had already met Mikey. And so what you really needed was a singer. Yeah, but we got you. But we were both but singers instead, and both bass players. I came along. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you, you, know, you, you covered a lot of territory. I mean, Kelly and I never played together until, and we talked about doing music because I knew he was good. Mm-hmm. But I never set up the drums after either or, which for me was kind of the end of it. I thought retiring at the ripe old age of 21 or something. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, he really just talked me into it, twisted my arm to come down there that night. If I hadn't come down there that night, we wouldn't be sitting here. Hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, my recollection is from there, we just played every chance we got. But be, we met Ron. Ron came in. Yeah. Uh, both of you guys are kind of from a scene before I had arrived. Uh, you, we met yeah. at the club and uh, started playing music together, which yeah. I got an, introduced then to those people like the Seminatis who were starting, you know, the clergy. That, I met Randy there, I think. Uh, Craig and Sherry Smith uh, were huge in my life, and, and they were around at that time. I was meeting a whole bunch of people that were kind of percolating that underground that had been doing stuff i never met tim i mean maybe once yeah tim was a force 14. he came to uh at least a couple of our shows i know i'd seen him and we were gecko monks because gregarious monks was taken by him yeah and yeah. he wouldn't let us have it well i don't think anybody had the balls to ask him for it so i would have we, we could have just left it alone i mean because tim had really mentored us uh he did the the either or uh demo tape you know, he produced that. Um, he taught us a lot. It was our first experience actually doing anything, you know, recording other than just kind of setting up a cassette tape and recording. Was he kind of a force of that underground movement that was happening? In the Christian scene. I mean, was there yeah. a Christian oh, yeah, underground definitely. scene? Yeah, for sure. What other bands were in that scene that you guys can Ron, remember? I mean, there was Christian specifically. I mean, I was seeing, I was just going seeing bands regardless. I mean, every, time, every so often somebody would... You know, this was a time when, you know, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of crossover, but you had bands like U2, which yeah. at the time, you know, War, Boy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they were perceived as a Christian band. And that's when a lot of, I think, Christian musicians were like, oh, it's okay to be a Christian right. and be in a band, you know. So I felt like I mean, that a little bit. You don't have to play praise music. You don't have to play praise music. It doesn't have to always be message driven, even though a lot of their stuff was. Mm. But it, it kind of... I think maybe unconsciously opened up people's minds to, hey, let's do this thing. Let's let's start a band. Or we can do this. Yeah. Even if we do say Jesus, we can still do it. Yeah. That's the way I felt. A little bit. They gave me they gave me the okay. Like this is okay. I never had any reservations about being in a quote unquote Christian band. I had reservations about being in the Christian music scene Hmm. because I didn't feel. What do you mean by that? I mean, I just, I come from a Christian background, but there was the beginnings of a level of hypocrisy. I mean, we ran into it. Sure. All the time. All the time. And I started to question, you know, do I want to represent 
not this message, but these people. Hmm. And uh, I never did settle that. Hmm. That's probably why we quit playing in churches and big Christian shows and started playing Satyricon and, you know, Pine Street. I always felt more comfortable in a club than a church. I just did, even though I was a church guy, I went to Christian school, family's very churchy. But uh, I was, I no was one was eyeballing one. us, you know? I, I was mean, probably the one that pulled us into the more church things, for sure. Because I, I had no problem with it at all. Well, you I, had connections I, there, no pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, and we all did, I think, to a certain degree. Kelly was a youth pastor. Sure. You know, and Ron and I grew up in the church. So we all did. Right. But we were under a microscope. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I remember instances where we really kind of took it on the chin hmm. uh, when I don't think it was fair. Um, and it started to make me, and I know Kelly too, feel, and I don't speak for for him, but I know for sure, you know, this was an issue for him. Mm-hmm. But I, you're, so you're kind of a passive guy in the scene. You're hanging out at a band house and you're watching this Christian underground kind of being percolating, right? Oh, so not were just you watching. Into- I was... I was involved. Um, I was in, early on, while I was still in high school, I was in a Christian punk band called Empty Tomb mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. started with a bunch of other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, before, I think everybody before in Portland me, in our scene was in Empty Tomb at one time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the very first iteration started down in Salem yeah. and then um, kind of came up here into Portland. An Empty and Tomb was punk rock, just kind of loud, was, boisterous yeah, it punk was, rock. A friend of mine once said, you, your songs, they're they're not that long, but I listen. They have all the structure: verse, chorus, verse, bridge. It's just that they're so fast <laughs> that they're over in a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but after that, you know, I started meeting people in the scene. Um, interesting how, fact: how big was that scene, though? I mean, it it wasn't very big. It was, but it's it's like you mentioned on your last uh, episode. A lot of the people. The players remained the same. They just kind of switched bands. Yeah. And so there wasn't... I mean, for the underground, punk, new wave kind of sound, college rock, whatever you want to call it, um, there weren't a lot of us. You know, you had bands like... It was a Gino Michaels interaction. <laughs> yeah, I remember it's those like guys. a total jazzy kind of sure. thing. Versus. Yeah. Versus yeah. was, you know... There was definitely... In the Christian music scene, there was definitely, you had all your different genres. But as far as us, we kind of made do with borrowing players from other bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band that became clergy with Randy and Christy Simonotti was a band called, let's see, first we were Yonder Hill, mm. then we were Waterhouse, and Dennis from Flock 14, uh, he... He played with Dennis us. Childers. Dennis yeah. Childers. Mm-hmm. He played guitar with us, mm-hmm. and another guy from uh, Multnomah named Jeff Deem, who's he went back to Southern Cal, and he's in. He started one of the biggest kind of goth bands in that area. Wow, yeah. So it it when you talk about connections, it's just it's like a throwing a rock in a. In it's a, a spider web. Is that a spider web? I don't know. Oh, you mean like a soliton? Yeah, that breaks all the connections. You mean the soliton where the concentric rings? If you throw a a rock into a 
still Large body of water <laughs> and all those rings just mm-hmm. keep going out and out and out. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I was going with that. You know, what, one, one. one thing I'd say about it, though, too, is you have to remember uh, this is pre-internet. You know, people are not posting stuff on Facebook. Pre-MySpace. Pre-MySpace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like maybe Prodigy. Days. I don't know. <laughs> But I mean, everybody. It was it was word of mouth, you know, and and handbills and flyers on telephone poles. And That's stuff, how so. I found out about Flock 14. I went to a high school out in Gresham, and there was a flyer up on the bulletin board. I, took, I remember I, spending entire nights downtown plastering Flock 14 posters on every surface we could find. I found one when I first got up there, and I took it, and I still have it. I know exactly where it is. And I got it because I thought, oh, this, this is something. This is something different. Yeah. And I never got to see that band. Or well, I, and again, that, again, I don't think I talked to Tim ever. Well, and I was going to that was why Tim was such a force in, in my world, because he was the guy at Kinko's making the flyer. Yeah. You know, he was the guy <laughs> handing things out to people. And, you know, he's this big dude, spiky orange hair and stuff, and he's walking up to... You know these middle-aged people, and hey, come see my band. Right. You know. And and so that taught me a lot about like you got to get out there. You know you can't just sit behind a drum kit and play. You know you got to be willing to talk to people and engage people. And I've never been that good at that part of it, but he showed us a lot about how to do that. Hmm. So would you consider him kind of one of the guys that started that this kind of scene that w- we kind of took over for? And and was he one of the the big guys that gui- guided others? In Portland? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Portland Christian I'd stuff. say I'd say uh Tim McAllister, uh Jerry Michaels. Jerry from Michaels the from the receivers, yeah. Um then they ended up playing together for a short while before yeah. Tim I and all about them that. into Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay, let's get, let's move through our band. So we started our band and we did some stuff because I'm going to go backwards because I've got other people that have come in for, to this wonderful party yeah, that we you had. Get other people, and we've on. got some we've got some history happening in here that's coming in. I'm stoked. Um, but we did. We went out and we played a lot and uh, we made a lot of friends. And and I think that the bands that we made friends with at that time, I really liked that. It, it was intriguing for me because we were all helpful of each other and really doing a lot of stuff together. And um, those days are gone, uh, for, for me at least. But uh, I really enjoyed that space and being in that space, whatever band we were in at the, at the time. You guys, after Gecko Monks, uh, did you guys ever want to pursue more of that kind of staple go, go, go thing? Mark, you said you really weren't into that. Ron, were you ready to... I, I played off and on, nothing of any, any you know, great anything, but... Um, I'm still playing now, you know. I, it's it's all middle-aged guys playing, dad dad bands. Yeah, dad bands all the way. Grandpa bands. Well, you know, you and Kelly grandpa and I, Ron, we we've used to jam a little bit. <laughs> too. A grandpa band. I'm a grandpa. Yeah. What? Yeah. Kelly well, and Mark and I, um, we still played together after you left, um, you know, just for fun. We still we, need to play together at least one time. We didn't have Us anything three. to. Yeah, we should anything to show for it really i mean we just played a I bunch mean, of covers and had fun you know it's therapy yeah kelly went on uh he was in several bands after that um playing originals and covers mostly in the coastal communities yeah he's, coast. yeah. Yeah, he's playing blues and we lost kelly 
this last year. We did. So um, yep. he went Don't home. Know. Was it a year? Uh, yeah, it was almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. That's a bummer for us. He was, he was a hell a, of a guy. He, I mean, he literally changed things for me. Yeah. I got to live with him, too, and it was, uh, I had a good time with him. He was a crazy dude. He was. <laughs> I remember some times. Give me one story from our past and our band, our little tiny band when we were 20-somethings. Give me a, a fun story, maybe a Nashville story or something. Oh, Nashville, we shouldn't talk about no, Nashville. No, we shouldn't talk about Nashville. <laughs> Okay, uh, give me I've another story. In Nashville. Give me the I've corral story. Papers. I can't talk yeah, about my that. attorneys <laughs> advised me to. I did talk oh, about I mean, when you said fuck at the corral. And yeah, got thanks booted. for uh, yeah. <laughs> naming me there. Yeah. No. That was a vivid uh, narrative, by I the way. I remember yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I remember getting And the fog busted. machine was. Uh, that's hard to explain, but that that was a great story because it was so true. And nine and, times out of ten, it was, Roy was standing above that. Oh, yeah. And I blame Roy for that most of the stuff that us. happened at the corral. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, corral stories. We could talk about the time when Mikey first got his wireless. <laughs> and he loved playing that wireless rig because mm -hmm. he, you know. If you've ever seen Mikey on stage, he is a performer, and he uses every square foot he's given, and then some, whether it's tables in the front row or anything <laughs> some else. Some he's not given, yeah. Some he just takes. Um, at one point, after getting this new wireless rig, he decided, why wait until in between songs to go take a leak? I'll just do it while we're playing. I think I can still play and pee at Sounds the same better. time. Really? Yeah. True. And, and it, uh, it took this, him was, this was the decadent early did 90s, Lena. Yeah, we, did, I think so. Yeah. Back when I was a kid when I could pee? Yeah. Yeah. Back when we didn't have good to take days, medication. Man. <laughs> He's looking at me over the kit going, where's Mikey? <laughs> and I'm like, he usually is right there. He's peeing. <laughs> He's not here. But I still hear bass. I remember uh, being on the tables a few times. Like, yeah. On yeah. top of them. Jumped out to those. I think he went outside once. That was the only place you could breathe, really, with all that. Smoke from Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Roy. Okay, boys, I appreciate you very much, and we're going to absolutely get back to this band because we, we need to. Okay, okay, okay. Let's pause for now, and we'll get back to the conversation. A few years ago, and 20-something years after being the Gecko Monks, we all decided to have dinner together. Along with us, our unofficial fifth member, Gunnar Simonson from the band Pollywog, we hadn't been together in the same room since the early 90s. Kelly McCullough, our guitar player, passed away last year. My condolences to his family. That dinner we had would be the last time I would see Kelly. And I'm glad to say that we had a really good time together that night. We were all looking forward to doing it again. Our final time together was laughter, and that's great. Makes me think about my other band members over the years and how they're doing. I wish all of them very, very well. On the next episode of Deconstruct with Mikey Bridges, I'll take you back to the get-together. We'll talk more about what was happening in Portland with the rest of my guests. For now, I leave you with a track called Real from my band Gecko Monks circa 1992. And yes, that is a wind track on the song that you're hearing. <laughs> Cheers from Southern California.
You ain't 